You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam on St. Michael Catholic Radio, 102.9 FM, right here in Tulsa in Broken Arrow. I am so glad that you have joined me again this week. As always, we have a lot to talk about. But I have to tell you, I'm just feeling a little ordinary today. You have those days, right, where you just feel a little ordinary. Christmas has passed. Now what are we going to do? Well, I'll tell you what we're going to do. Uh, when you go to Mass, you're going to see the priest is now wearing green vestments because we are in the first week of ordinary time. That was a liturgical joke, by the way, about feeling ordinary. Yeah, okay. And uh, we know that the priests are wearing green vestments, and, and we can cross-reference that with uh, what, what Kermit the Frog has said, that it's not easy being green. But I'm pumped. Uh, so, you know, when we have the feasts and the fast and something really to focus on, uh, we focus on the coming of Christ in Advent. We focus on the death of Christ in Lent. We focus on the resurrection and Easter. And, and so we have these things to focus on. It's a little bit easier uh, to walk out our faith. It's a little bit harder in these ordinary times. So Kermit the Frog was on to something. It isn't easy being green. But... That's where we are. We are in ordinary time. And, you know, life is like that. I talk to our married couples when we're, or our engaged couples when we're doing pre-Cana, our pre-marriage uh, workshop. And we talk to couples who are expecting this life of uh, ups and highs and huge bliss all the time. And we tell them, you know, it's really not sustainable to live that way, that there are times where life is just ordinary. I mean, someone's going to have to take out the trash. Someone's going to have to wash the dishes, and you're going to have to brush your teeth sometime. Life is just ordinary, and we have to get used to the rhythms of life in those ordinary times. So, too, in this time in our church, where we are walking through the ordinary time of the year without anything really to focus on, uh, we've got to encourage ourselves every day to be focused on Christ nonetheless, uh, and to delve into his word and to delve into what the church has given us. And the church gives us some really good hearty meals during this time. Uh, it's not like we, we're in the middle of a fast liturgically. Uh, we are simply going through our everyday life in the faith. Let's open up today in prayer. And we're going to, to pray the collect for the day. Of course, this is uh, going to be the collect for Monday because that's the day that we first air. We're rebroadcast on Wednesdays at 5 p.m. and Thursdays at 7. But we're, we first air on Monday mornings at 7 a.m. And so we're going to pray uh, the reading, the collect for Monday, and then we'll read the readings for Monday as well. Uh, and so let's pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Attend to the cries of your people with heavenly care, O Lord, we pray. We pray that they may see what must be done and gain strength to do what they have seen. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. One of the things I love about doing the readings, reading things from church history, reading the breviary, being involved in these rich traditions of the church, is uh, finding jewels, these gems that uh, that express the faith in ways that I haven't heard before. Uh, 
I love that that phrase there in the collect that you would let them see what needs to be done and give them the strength to do what they have seen. That's just a very interesting way to express that idea of God give us the vision and then give us the drive. Uh, well, today we're going to do in the second segment, we're going to do our readings from uh, the mass readings of the day. And then we've got a beautiful prayer that we're going to read from the letter to the Corinthians from Pope St. Clement I. And uh, then in the in the last segment, we're going to talk about uh, the Eucharist. This was something uh, that someone asked me to do, and I, as you know, love interaction. Uh, and so I'm, I'm going to oblige. Now, if you have something that you would like me to talk about, you can go over to our social media site. Uh, you can go to facebook.com slash step outside the walls or go over to Twitter. Our handle there is at outside the walls and make your request. And we would be more than delighted to make that a part of the show. As you know, I'm an extrovert. I love to be on the radio. I love to talk with you, but I really love that interaction where we can uh, have a dialogue together. And so, uh, Make use of that social media. You get to have some say in how the show goes, uh, and I look forward to that. Now, in this first little time together, I want to talk to you about the Tulsa March for Life. It's coming up on January 22nd. It's always on January 22nd. Uh, that's the anniversary of Roe versus Wade and Doe versus Bolton. Uh, being passed by the Supreme Court. And so we always mark that day with a public witness for life. And so uh, it's going to start at 530 at Holy Family Cathedral. Bishop Slattery is saying a mass. And then at seven o'clock, we gather out in front of the cathedral with people from uh, all different backgrounds, not just Catholics. Uh, and we will march about six blocks, uh, a little circuitous route that's going to take us to Chapman Centennial Green at 6th and Main, uh, which is actually only a block and a half or two blocks from the cathedral. But the way that we march it, uh, it's about six blocks. And when we get there, we've got a, a person who's going to speak to us uh, about life. It will be a very encouraging time. But it's also going to be an opportunity to see what the pro-life community is doing throughout Tulsa. There are going to be several uh, pregnancy resource centers that are going to be represented there at the march. We're going to have uh, churches from all over the city and really all over the region who are going to be participating in this, this march for the sanctity of life. And of course, we're going to be there with St. Michael's Catholic Radio, uh, and we're going to have a banner there. So if you don't have a parish or a congregation that you're going to be marching with, then find our sign, the St. Michael Catholic Radio, and march behind that uh, as one of our listening audience. We look forward to, to seeing you there and, and being uh, a part of that day with you. So the question is, why are we doing this kind of thing? Why do we even do the March for Life? Well, the March for Life started nationally almost immediately after Roe v. Wade was passed some 40, 40 plus years ago. Uh, and each year, about 400,000 to half a million people gather in Washington, D.C. Uh, and then there are all kinds of events that surround that, uh, some conferences and uh, other activities that are going on in addition to the march. And so, but not everyone has the ability to take a week off, 
get on a bus, drive out there and and experience that kind of uh, event. And now certainly we send several buses each year from the Diocese of Tulsa of youth and, and college students who uh, maybe have an easier time taking that much time off than those of us who are, shall we say, more older. We're just older. So we have more responsibilities, right? Uh, and so it's harder for us to take off. So a, a few years ago, about I think this is the sixth year, so in, in mid-2009, there were a group of, of people who got together uh, from all different backgrounds, not just Catholic, uh, who decided that they wanted to bring a March for Life here to Tulsa. And so each year we've endeavored to get a few more people uh, to bring in a few more churches uh, to spread the word a little bit more fully uh, because we don't always get very good coverage uh, from the media. And because we want to have the, the march at a time when the most people possible can participate, uh, downtown is generally empty when it occurs. But each year we try to expand our reach just a little bit more to, to draw in those uh, who agree with us, who maybe don't know how to express it completely. But they say, you know, I am for the sanctity of life. I do believe that life begins at, at conception. And I do believe that all life is sacred from conception to natural death. Uh, so I, I stand in solidarity with you in this march. And then, of course, when they get there, they see all the other people who are involved in the pro-life activities, and they see the the people who are actively involved throughout the year, not just at the big events like 40 Days for Life or or like uh, the March, but those people who day in and day out are doing things that make a difference for people in the midst of crisis. It's our endeavor to raise awareness, even among other Christians, about what can be done uh, to stand for the sanctity of life year-round. But we also want to elevate that conversation. Too often, this is relegated to the political realm, where you have uh, Republicans versus Democrats or liberals versus conservatives about how this should be, uh, should be handled in the United States. And this really is not a political issue, and we want to elevate the conversation for this to be about the the dignity of the human person, Uh, not just uh, about the abortion issue, but the broader concept of the dignity of the human person and and what implications that carries for us to be made in the image of God uh, and how that should affect our policy. Yes, there is a political aspect to it. There is a, a legal aspect to it. But really, the legal aspect flows from the implications of the broader societal uh, and moral aspects of this conversation. Uh, in fact, this year, the speaker at the March for Life is a veteran lawmaker, a pro-life lawmaker, uh, Rebecca Hamilton. She has a blog on the Pathios Network. Uh, Public Catholic is the name of the blog. You can Google that and find her writings. And some of it uh, you will probably not agree with, um, but some of it you will. Some of the stuff she's just spot on. And I think that's important to realize is that we don't have to agree 100% on every political policy issue for us to be united in Christ uh, we don't have to agree on every minutia of economics for us to say, uh, no, there are some things that are right and some things that are wrong. Some things transcend 
the the civil law and enter into the moral law. Uh, and so this year, the speaker is veteran pro-life legislator who happens to be a Democrat. Uh, and that's probably not very, uh, not something you would expect from a, a lawmaker who affiliates with the party for them to go outside of the platform. But as I said earlier, this is not really a political issue. It's a moral issue. And so uh, former Representative Hamilton had a profound conversion uh, to be to becoming pro-life. Uh, and I, I don't really know the full story of it. I just know that it happened. I've had a couple of very good conversations with her uh, and really look forward to hearing what she has to say there at the March for Life. But what I'm most excited about is that uh, it breaks the stereotype. You know, as we go out and we are making our public witness, it's so easy for others to say, well, because you hold this opinion, uh, then I now know everything about you and I label you as X uh, and now I no longer have to pay attention to what you have to say. And so anytime that we can present the truth in a way that maybe shakes conventions, maybe defies expectations, uh, those are uh, positive opportunities. And so I invite you to come out to the Tulsa March for Life. It's going to be on January 22nd, uh, always. That's a Thursday this year. And you can show up at Holy Family Cathedral if you want to come to Mass. The bishop is saying a Mass at 5.30, and then the march begins at 7. But you're going to want to get there a little bit early uh, if you're coming to the march, because parking can sometimes be a little bit tight. If you want to find out where to park or more information about that, you can go to the Tulsa uh, TulsaMarchForLife.com. That's www.TulsaMarchForLife.com. Well, when we come back, we're going to delve into Scripture, into the readings of the day, uh, and then to look toward the Church Fathers, uh, to hear what they have to say to us today. And then lastly, we're going to talk about the Eucharist, the source and the summit of our faith. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam on St. Michael Catholic Radio, 102.9 FM, Tulsa, Broken Arrow. Welcome back to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam on St. Michael Catholic Radio, 102.9 FM, Tulsa, and Broken Arrow. So glad that you have joined us today. Well, as I said earlier, uh, it's the first week in ordinary time. And really, it kind of feels that way. We're just kind of getting back into the rhythm of things after the holidays. You know, it seems like I always need a vacation after the vacation because I have to get back into the, the, the rhythm. I've, I've lost, I, I lost my groove, as it were. Uh, you threw off the emperor's groove. Uh, I have small children. We watch Disney movies, yes. So, uh, but we're, we're back into this, this ordinary time now. We're getting settled. Things are getting back to normal. And uh, let's relate this to uh, food, because everything can relate to food, right? Uh, I told you about my favorite meal a few weeks ago. I told you about my favorite Thanksgiving meal and what makes that meal a meal. And uh, it's just this huge endeavor. 
And then we go from that and we have St. Nicholas Feast Day and we get to have special cookies, right? The speculas. And I, we put the recipe up for that on, the, on our social media. And then we, we have, uh, then we have the Christmas feast and then all of these other special things going on. And then now, now it's back to normal. Now we're back into the normal menu, the staple items of what is in our diet. And really, that's what's about to happen with the readings in the church. We've had this, this feast of the incarnation. We've looked at all of these implications of what it means that God has come to earth as man, uh, put on human flesh, became one of us, experienced life as we did, and was like us in every way except in sin. And then he put himself as a sacrifice for us. So we've been feasting on the mystery, the, the Paschal mystery, the, the, the mystery of the incarnation. And now the church is going to take us back in our readings and give us staples, right? Now we're going to eat the normal diet menu of the word. And they're going to give us those things that are necessary to sustain us. Uh, they're, they're good meals. They're hearty meals, uh, but they're not feasts. It's not going to be this overindulgent, amazing uh, menu, right? The menu that's put in front of us now is are the things that we need uh, to live. It's our normal daily diet. And so that's the what ordinary time is going to give us. And so now let's let's crack it open. Today is really the, the very first day uh, of ordinary time. Well, if you're listening on Monday when the show first airs at 7 a.m., of course, if you're listening on Wednesday uh, at 5 or Thursday at 7, we welcome you. We're glad you're here, uh, but these readings have already passed for you. You're, you're well into ordinary time. You're, you're probably already a, a pro at it. Uh, but for us who are listening on Monday morning, this is the very first day of ordinary time. Yesterday was the baptism of the Lord, which was also a big feast, uh, and now... Now we typically pull out the green, we put on our, our comfy sweater and eat our normal diet, our normal menu of the Word of God. And so that first reading today for us comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, and it's really the introduction to Hebrews. It's uh, verses 1 through 6, and we read this, Brothers and sisters, in times past, God spoke in partial in various ways, to our ancestors through the prophets. In these last days, he spoke to us through the Son, whom he made the heir of all things, and through whom he created the universe, who is the very refulgence of his glory, the very imprint of his being, and who sustains all things by his mighty word. When he had accomplished purification from sins, he took his seat at the right hand of the majesty on high, as far superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which angel did God ever say, You are my son, this day I have begotten you? Or again, I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. And again, when he leads the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. That's from the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. Today's responsorial uh, echoes that 
comes from Psalm 97, where we read this. Let all his angels worship him. The Lord is king. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many isles be glad. Justice and judgment are the foundation of his throne. Let all his angels worship him. The heavens proclaim his justice, and all the peoples see his glory. Let all his angels worship him. Let all his angels worship him. Because you, O Lord, are the Most High over all the earth, exalted far above all gods. Let all his angels worship him. Our gospel reading today comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. After John had been arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God. This is the time of fulfillment. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. As he passed by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting their nets into the sea. They were fishermen. Jesus said to them, Come after me, and I will make you fishers of men. Then they left their nets and followed him. He walked along a little farther, and he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They too were in a boat, mending their nets. Then he called them. So they left their father Zebedee in the boat, along with the hired men, and followed him. That comes from the Gospel of Mark. Our reading today from the fathers comes from the letter to the Corinthians from Pope St. Clement I, who is also a martyr. Uh, And we read uh, this beautiful prayer towards the end of that letter. For his chosen ones scattered throughout the world, we shall make our constant prayer to the creator of the universe. May he allow none of them to fall away, but preserve them all through his beloved Son, Jesus Christ, through whom he called us out of darkness into light, out of ignorance to the knowledge of his glorious name. Give us grace, Lord, to hope in your name, to which all creatures owe their being. Open the eyes of our heart to know you alone, the Most High in the highest heavens, the Holy One, whose dwelling is in the Holy. You abase the arrogance of the proud, frustrate the designs of the godless, exalt the lowly, and humble the lofty. You give men wealth and take it away. You slay them, save them, and give them new life. Alone, the benefactor of spirits and God of all flesh, Your gaze penetrates the depths. You observe the doings of men. Helper of those in peril, Savior of those in despair, you created and still keep watch over all that draws breath. You cause the peoples on earth to multiply, and from them all choose those who love you through Jesus Christ, your beloved Son. Through him you have instructed us, sanctified us, honored us. Lord, we entreat you to help us. Come to the aid of the afflicted. Pity the lowly. Raise up the fallen. Show your face to the needy. Heal the sick. Convert the wayward. Feed the hungry. Deliver the captives. 
support the weak, encourage the faint-hearted. Let all nations know that you alone are God. Jesus Christ is your Son, and we are your people and the sheep of your pasture. Lord, you created the world according to the eternal decree now revealed in your works. Faithful throughout all generations, you are just in judgment, wonderful in power and majesty. You formed your creation with wisdom and established it with prudence. Everything we see proclaims your goodness. You are kind and compassionate and never fail those who put their trust in you. Forgive us for our failings and for our sins. Do not hold all the transgressions of your servants against them, but purify us by your truth, and so guide our footsteps that by walking in holiness and justice and simplicity of heart, we may do what is good and pleasing in your sight and in the sight of our leaders. Lord, let the light of your face shine upon us so that we may enjoy your blessings in peace, protected by your strong hand and freed from all sin by your outstretched arm and deliver us from those who hate us unjustly. Give peace and concord to us and to all mankind, even as you gave it to our ancestors when they devoutly called upon you in faith and truth. Lord, you alone are able to bestow these and even greater benefits upon us. We praise you through Jesus Christ, our high priest and the champion of our souls. Through him be glory and majesty to you now and throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. That beautiful prayer comes from the letter to the Corinthians by Pope St. Clement I. Y'all all know that I'm, I'm a convert. I came into the Catholic faith from being in the Protestant church. I was actually a worship pastor for a number of years, over a decade, in the Protestant church before becoming Catholic. And one of the questions that I've heard before is, how can you go from being in a place where you had such freedom in your liturgies and, and for, you know, I did the, the lights and big drums, the bands, the, the whole big shebang. How can you go from that into something so structured? You know, how can you go from just praying extemporaneously to having to pray something that was written out before? And I, all I need to do is point to this letter here, this letter to the Corinthians by Pope St. Clement I, because in all of my extemporaneous prayers, I never fully con conveyed and, and encapsulated my emotion and my thought as well as he's done right there. Uh, you know, we, we have no problem assigning our emotion to a love song. Oh, it's our song, right? But uh, somehow when we get and take it into prayer, people think that by praying something that's been already written, we've lost something. When I say we've gained something so beautiful that it's beyond compare. When we come back, we're going to talk about the Eucharist, the source and the summit of our faith. You are listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam on St. Michael Catholic Radio, 102.9 FM, Tulsa, Broken Arrow.
This is Father Joe Townsend from St. Benedict's in Broken Air, Oklahoma, and you are listening to Outside the Walls on 102.9 St. Michael Catholic Radio. Thank you, Father Joe, and thank you all for tuning in. Uh, we're, we've uh, last week started doing something a little different in this third segment. We uh, we dedicated some time to apologetics, and so uh, I was asked if I could talk to you about the Eucharist, uh, something that I really enjoy talking about, and maybe we'll present it in a way you haven't heard before. And of course, may, this may all be old hat to you, and, and it's not a huge deal. Uh, but as always, as we begin this this talk on apologetics, I feel compelled to uh, to echo the sentiment of Saint Teresa of Avila, who said, "If I should say anything that is not in conformity with what is held by the Holy Roman Catholic Church, it will be through ignorance and not through malice." And that's something that I I believe very firmly. It's, you know, when I'm talking one on one with uh, with someone and I'm sharing my faith. It's very easy for me to to just express it, but, but now that I'm doing it here on the radio and uh, there's archives of it and there's all all of you are listening, all all four of you, uh, it really um, well I have to expect that. I mean, I, nobody ever talks to me on social media. I've got about four of you that say anything, so I'm thinking it must be four. Uh, but if you want to let me know you're listening, that'd be great too. You can just go right on over to facebook.com slash step outside the walls or on Twitter. Our handle is at outside the walls and just say, Hey, I'm a listener too. Uh, and I'll add you to the number and then we can maybe next week we can have five. That'd be awesome. Uh, but you know, now that it's archived and it's out there in public, it's, it's a little bit more nervous because I am a convert and, uh, I don't have a, a lifetime in the Catholic faith. And so I can express this in the way that it makes sense to me. And I can do it as, as best as, as possible, uh, and sticking close to the fathers of the church and sticking close to the way that the church expresses it, but also knowing that maybe I missed something. Maybe there's some other way, or maybe there's some defect in the way that I'm explaining it. So I always, I always want to give that disclaimer. And I also always want to say, if I've missed something, or you think that I left out an important factor, overlooked something, then, uh, then tell me about it. And again, you can do that on our social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls, Twitter at outside the walls. Uh, so please, by all means, if I have come short in any way in explaining this, let me know. But that being said, let's talk about the Eucharist and specifically the real presence, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ manifestly present on the altar in the consecrated elements. You know, the, the biggest disservice to our understanding in the Western world of uh, of this idea of Christ being manifestly present to us through the sacrifice of the Mass, the biggest detriment to that is this idea, perhaps it sprung up from the Enlightenment, uh, that everything that is actual and everything that is real must be empirical, must be physical. There must be some material to it that can be tested and probed and prodded and and measured and quantified. And, uh, and so by believing that, we miss out on so much of reality. And people say, uh, well, do you believe that that's real? Absolutely, I believe it's real. Uh, 
but it doesn't it doesn't change well it, it doesn't change in a measurable way uh, but all that is real is not measurable and so we're going to talk a little bit about the mystery uh, and we're going to do that through philosophy and really everybody has a philosophy everybody does uh, those people who say that they are not philosophical they only want things that are empirical and they want things that they can measure and they can test and that's how they can prove the world well they have a philosophy that philosophy is materialism not in the sense of uh of buying too much, but in the sense that all of reality is material reality. All that exists is uh, the physical world, the protons and atoms. And there are people out there who are materialists who will go so far as to say, you really don't have free will because all you are is a bundle of chemical reactions going on in your brain. You don't really love someone. That's just a chemical response. Uh, because we can put that on your head when you're f having those emotions of love and we can see exactly which places are firing uh, in your brain to create that emotion. And so there are people who will look at that and say, oh, no, no, you really don't have anything. You don't even really have thought. You, what you have is uh, this bundle of atoms interacting with one another in a chemical way. Well, the problem with that is the problem of correlation versus causation. Are those areas of the brain uh, firing because you have those emotions? Or are those areas of the brain firing to cause those emotions? And then that's the question that uh, is not sufficiently answered by the, the, um, the philosophy of materialism. They take that for granted. That is uh, an assumption that they have walking into the whole discussion. And so we have to, first thing, realize what we believe about existence. What exists? When we look at the world, what exists? Is it just those things that are physical and material and quantifiable and understandable and dissectable that we can say actually exist? Or is there more? And before you go too far and say, well, of course, the what, what I can touch and feel and... Uh, that's that's what that's what uh, exists. Okay, well, then you do get into where do your thoughts come from. What about the human soul? What about all of these other really unquantifiable things? Yes, we are uh, a physical body, but we are much more than just a physical body. We have uh, some individual component about who we are and and we we face uh, dilemmas and choices and we process pros and cons of those dilemmas and choices and come out with an outcome that we think is is uh, positive uh, we face temptations and we either uh, give in to those temptations or we don't uh, and sometimes we do better than others and and sometimes we don't and and so there there are these variable things that aren't really explainable merely by uh, neurons firing and chemical components. There are things that are real that aren't quantifiable. And so we have to start with that understanding before we get into anything uh, about the real presence. Now, a lot of the church's understanding of, of the Eucharist is really based on Greek philosophy. We can get a lot from Plato and a lot from Aristotle. Uh, 
Bet you didn't think you'd hear those words on the radio, right? St. Thomas Aquinas borrowed heavily from Aristotle. And so we're going to use a little bit of Play-Doh, and, and f- not, the, not the fun moldable clay, not Play-Doh, Plato. Um, in his definition of forms, the existence of what is real and what is not. And then we're going to talk uh, a little bit of Aristotle about essence and accidents. Uh, and that's, again, not like you spilled the milk and that's an accident. No, it's, it's something a little bit more, uh, more in-depth than that. But first, let's talk about chairs. Wait, what? No, 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 really, let's talk about chairs. I have a chair at my house. Uh, it is wooden, right? It's got a nice little wooden back with some slats in it, uh, kind of a contoured seat for ergonomic whatnot. Uh, and it, uh, it's got four legs and some spindles and some supports underneath it. But if you walk into the next room, I have another chair. That chair is made of metal and it folds. It's not very comfortable uh, for long periods of time, but it does in a pinch. Uh, then I have another chair. Uh, it, it swivels. It's only got one leg. It's got a pedestal and out of that comes five little uh, wheeled spokes, right? And it, it's a swivel chair. It's made of pleather, right? It's got arms, nice comfortable arms, and it goes up and And we recognize that all of those are chairs. There they are. They're all chairs. Every one of them. It's a chair. Uh, it's not a chair because of what it's made of, uh, because it could be made of anything and still be a chair. It's not a chair because of its function, because I can sit on a bench or a couch or a stool or a countertop, and that doesn't make it a chair. There's something about the chair that we recognize as a chair. Plato would say that that's its form, and he would say that the form is what really exists, and it exists in this world of forms, and that we recognize that form in the chair here in the physical world. But the physical world is an imperfect facsimile of chair. The chair is a chair because of its chairness, as it were, uh, and not because of anything else. And that's foundational to understanding uh, what we mean by Christ coming to us truly and really in the, the sacrifice on the altar. Now, we're going we're gonna to go a little bit further. We're going to talk about uh, essence, what something really is, and accidents. It's accidental properties. So we go back to that, that idea of the chair. It's not a chair because of what it's made of. What it's made of is just an accidental property. If the chair were not made of wood, it would be no less a chair. If the chair were not made of pleather, it would be no less a chair. If the chair only had one leg with spindles instead of four legs, it would be no less a chair. Those are accidental properties to it that don't really affect its essential qualities. When we come back, we're going to delve into this a little bit more deeply and how it relates specifically to the Eucharist. You're listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam on St. Michael Catholic Radio. Welcome back to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam on St. Michael Catholic Radio, 102.9 FM, Tulsa and Broken Arrow. We don't have a lot of time left to cover this uh, tiny little topic, which is the source and the summit of our faith, that of the Eucharist, of Christ being made manifestly present to us 
body, blood, soul, and divinity in the consecrated elements on the altar. Uh, we talked in the last segment about the what something really is, not being dependent on that what it's made of. So when we talk about sacrament, we're talking about the sacrament of the altar, and it's the source and the summit of all the other sacraments. What do we mean by sacrament? Well, sacrament is an efficacious sign. What that means is that it, it, it is a sign that is effective. It has the power to transmit all the value of that thing which it represents. And so this brings in this completely different world uh, of possibilities when we're talking about sacraments. Um, the sacrament is meant to bring us all the grace of God. So for instance, if I were to draw, uh, get a, a eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper and write the number 100 on that, that would be a sign. Uh, put a little dollar sign in front of it, and that is a sign for $100. But if I pull out a $100 bill, all of a sudden that one has the power to transmit all the value that it represents. I could walk into a store with a dollar bill and uh, walk out with, with goods uh, and probably some smaller uh, bills as well. If I walked in with the eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper and tried to walk out with uh, bills and, and consumer goods, I would be in trouble, right? One of those has the value to transmit and the other one does not. And so they're both made of paper and ink, right? But one is essentially different than the other. One of those has the power to transmit and the other does not. A sacrament is also kind of like an outlet in your house, right? Because all the power and the grace that we need was given to us by Christ on the cross. But we are prevented by space and by time from accessing directly that gift of grace on the cross. Now, I am prevented uh, by space and by desire from charging my uh, various Apple products over at the power plant by the river. All the power in my house comes from the power plant by the river. But it's not going to do me any good over there because I would have to get in my car and drive over there every time something died uh, that needed battery. But thankfully, someone has laid all of this copper cable, uh, well, some of it's draping over the streets, but some of it's buried, uh, and it comes right to my house. And then they've wired it through my house, and right by my bed, there's this little outlet that I can plug in my, my uh, phone to, and it charges overnight. Uh, and so this is what the sacrament is. It is a way that transmits to us all the graces that God has given us on the cross. So Christ becomes manifestly present in those elements uh, that have been consecrated. Uh, he is manifestly there. He's actually, really, truly there. But if you were to take that and look at it under a microscope, uh, in most cases, it's going to look like bread. It's going to look like wine. It's going to have all the physical properties of bread and wine. But those physical properties are accidental to its essence. It doesn't change what the thing is any more uh, than changing the chair from wood to uh, to metal, right? It's still a chair. That, that has nothing to do with its essential qualities. So what that is, by the power of God, through the prayer of the priest, God 
who became man now becomes our food. And some people say, well, you know, it doesn't look like Jesus. It looks like bread and wine. And, and my response to that is, really? Well, you know, when God became one of us, when he was incarnate in Jesus Christ, he didn't look like God. He looked like a man. He smelled like a man. He sweat like a man. He walked like a man. He was fully human, but he was also fully divine. Now, uh, when Christ inhabits what was bread and what was wine before consecration, uh, there, there's nothing in history, uh, and there's nothing in our faith that would say that somehow that would magically be physically transformed as well. Christ's physical body was not transformed except for a couple of occasions, the transfiguration and after his resurrection. And so why would we expect that when Christ becomes manifestly present to us in the gifts of the altar to sustain our souls, that he would somehow physically alter uh, or chemically alter uh, the, the consecrated hosts. No, we believe that Christ is actually, really, truly present to us, manifestly so, in the host on the altar. Uh, but it, it doesn't necessitate that he be physically present in that way. The consecrated host doesn't need to taste like body and blood in order for the body and blood and soul and divinity to be essentially what is present there on the altar. In the accidental properties, the accidents of bread and wine, uh, but just like that, that $100 bill, we no longer say that, that it's paper and ink, and it just happens to also be a $100 bill. Those, those are the properties of the bill, but they, they don't define the bill. In the same way, we don't say that the consecrated host is bread and wine because it can't be defined merely by its physical properties. It has taken on something that is so far supersedes and transcends that which it's made of. And so we say that the bread, the essence of bread and wine, the thing that makes it what it is, are transformed into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, uh, while the physical properties are somewhat unimportant to what the thing really is. Gosh, we could talk about this for hours, uh, but we don't have the time. That's really all the time we have for the day. So uh, thank you for listening to Outside the Walls with Timothy Putnam on St. Michael Catholic Radio 102.9 FM, Tulsa and Broken Arrow. Join the conversation. There's a lot more to talk about. Uh, you can find that at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. Or Twitter, our handle is at Outside the Walls. We'll be back next week. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you soon.